But my guess is that it's going to be way more mainstream and it's not going to be the last line of defense. It'll be one of the first, right? Because for instance, here in the United States, you can only get it when you have C. diff and C. diff is bacterial infection from taking copious amounts of antibiotics in a hospital, right? So they're like, oh, we can't do antibiotics anymore because that's how we got here. So now they do the FMT. But what if they did the FMT in the beginning? Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. Earlier this year, I interviewed Shana Cahill. She was a neuroscientist that worked for the company called Novel Biome. And we spoke about fecal matter transplants. And if you have been following me for years, you know, I am a huge fan of anything that has to do with your gut, your gut health, your immunity. And fecal matter transplants is one of those therapies. They're taking the world by surprise, by storm. The research, the science, the testimonials, the results that people are getting from FMTs are just mind blowing. But before I spoke with Shana, I actually spoke with the owner and founder of Novel Biome last year, December. And it was interesting because I wanted to interview him and I couldn't. And we're going to uncover that a little bit today, but but there's a whole history behind FMTs, fecal matter transplants. So if you guys hear me say FMT, just automatically think of fecal matter transplant. And so I wanted to interview him and he's like, I can't be interviewed yet because your license was being threatened. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I've just sort of been perpetually under investigation by my college. And so it was better for me to kind of zip it up without getting in more trouble. And I'm happy to go through sort of the whole background and history that led up to that moment. I want to hear it from beginning to end. And so it was really interesting because I told Jason, I was like, when you are ready, message me because I would love for listeners to hear the story and not to be like, oh, they're after us. This is why we need to do our own research and realize that powers that be aren't always in favor of our health. There's a lot of controversy over our bodies. Right. And so anyways, Jason then texted me. No, he emailed me earlier this week. And it's funny, Jason, I don't check my emails these days, but for some reason your email came in as I was looking at my phone and I was like, wait a second, I need to read this email. (laughs) And I was so happy to hear from you. It was like divinity. Right. And I was like, you said, I'm able to talk now. And I think I sent back like, yes, with like 10 exclamation marks. (laughs) I was like, wow, the excitement. I love to hear that. It's like my (laughs) comparable to when I come home, my dog's all excited to see me. Great. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like a golden retriever that's like really excited about them. Like, yes, let's talk about this. And the reason why I'm excited to talk about this is, you know, obviously we put out content and I talk to a lot of people and there's a lot that is said before and after the show that we can't share with the public. Right. And so this was one of those things where it's like, we just have to keep hush hush and just kind of wink, wink at the audience be like, Hey, you know, look out for these things. Here's a great example with my Instagram. For instance, if I post any pictures about me and my family easily get 20 to 30,000 views, right? As soon as I talk about health, 
two to 3,000, right? Wow. As soon as I talk about like education around the body, the microbiome, the immune system, maybe a thousand, maybe 900, wow. you know what I mean? It's crazy. And so the amount of censorship and the amount of control around health, it just seems so your health and wellness, it's a right. You have a right to know these things. And for some reason, it's being funneled, it's being filtered, it's being tampered with, right? And so Jason, welcome to the podcast. I've been waiting to have you on for a year. Please tell people who you are, how you got into the FMT world, how you started your company. Tell us all. Tell us all. This could be be quite the monologue. So interrupt me so that we can keep this interesting and engaging for everybody who's tuning in. And thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate your patience with me. I didn't realize it was a year almost. Just to show you how quickly time flies. And and quickly to your other point, you know, sort of restricting people's access to their own information. I mean, I think that's by and large the way that government and regulators look at each of us as individuals as being incapable of making our own informed health decisions. I know it's insane. Now, they don't really trust us to make a decision that's best for us, except when it fits whatever the mainstream narrative is, then it's like, Oh, by all means, you have mm-hmm. the power to make those types of decisions. You can even be a minor and make those types of decisions. So it's kind of a, you know, two sides of the coin where one side, they trust you to make your own health decisions. And on the other side, when it's outside of conventional medicine, like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, we got to restrict your access to that type of information because, well, that just wouldn't be good if you made an uninformed choice. And that's really what led me to the sort of problem or hot water that I found myself in is, is people were sort of making the assumption that I was taking advantage of people, which was really the farthest thing from the truth when we come to describe more of what I do. I want to interject really fast and be like, really, they want you to have access to the mainstream information that is paid for and funded by lobbyists, big corporations, big pharma, big food, big agriculture, right? And so whatever's in their interest, whoever can pay the most money, that's what media puts out, right? And so there's so much tampering with as far as funneling information to people. I mean, even there's a episode on Hassan Minaj has a show on Netflix where he talks about the food industry. And he talks about the food lobbying industry and how there was research paid for that was fraudulent, saying that it's not sugar that makes you fat. It's lack of exercise that makes you fat, right? It was paid for by these big food companies to sway the research. And so again, what is forced in front of you and what is filtered from you is paid for by someone because someone is making money off of you. Someone is making money off of your body. Someone's making money off of your health, right? And so they want you to have blinders on. And so I highly recommend you go and look for that episode. I will try and find it and put in the show notes so that it's easy for you guys to access. But yeah, I just want to put that out there. Like when it comes to things that actually help, for instance, here's a great example before we go into FMTs, a bunch of peptide therapies have been regulated and banned by the FDA. And it's some of the most potent and healing peptides that doctors were prescribing and people were getting results. People were reversing diseases and these have completely been taken off of the market. And it's very frustrating because we used a lot of these peptide therapies to help people heal their autoimmune diseases, their IBS, their IBD, their SIBO. And now we can't, right? And so again, it just comes down to, well, who's paying for what? What is it that peptide was replacing, right? Was it a drug? 
follow the money and you will see that money always pays for your illness. They want you to buy something from you. So anyways, that's my little soapbox right there. Jason, go ahead. Keep telling us your story. For a little bit of context, I graduated from naturopathic medical school in 2015. And I really, maybe we'll go back even a little further and what really motivated me to become a naturopathic doctor. I actually was a huge animal lover. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I grew up on a dairy farm and it wasn't until my mid-teens where I got really ill. And my family, my parents took me to, you know, standard sort of thing, take him to the family medical doctor. Means was a great person, but really didn't have a lot of idea as far as how to address something that I was experiencing. And ultimately, you know, to make a longer story a little shorter, said to me, in about a year, you should be feeling better. Your energy should be back where it is. And that was sort of the end of the story. There was really no other options for me. And so my parents then took me to a naturopathic doctor, where in a, a few days, I was back to, you know, 100% health, feeling amazing. And at that time, you know, being a, a teenager, I felt hopeless, right? Like hearing that from a physician who I really admired and respected, and then getting that message of, well, it could be about a year and, and you'll be feeling better with no real insight as to what I could do as options outside of just, well, there's nothing we can do. And so thankfully, my parents had the knowledge and experience to take me to the naturopathic doctor and quickly feeling so, so much better. I literally went laying in the back of my dad's, you know, the backseat of my dad's truck and could hardly swallow. It was just a lot of really acute, but recovery being really a chronic one. What did he diagnose you with or what was it? I ultimately had mono, but I had it like several times and I had a long history of uh, strep throat and other sort of problems relating to my upper, upper airways and so on. So really debilitating. And again, you can recover from that. It's quite possible, but people experience, you know, it can be a year of fatigue and and trouble recovering. And so I literally went and got very diluted, but IV hydrogen peroxide, really great at working as an antiviral. And boom, like literally one IV treatment and I was already at 90%. And then I had two or three more and was at 100%. And so it was really, you know, that experience of feeling somewhat helpless and hopeless, and then getting a solution so quickly with such effectiveness, mm-hmm. really took me into this idea of wanting to create that outcome for other people who felt the same way. So from that young age, I was about 15. I knew very clearly, like, this is what I want to do. I want to become a naturopathic doctor. And so, you know, graduating high school, straight into university, did my uh, bachelor's of science degree, and then went straight into a four-year naturopathic medical degree. And when I came out, you know, I didn't really know how or in which way I wanted to do this, but ultimately chose to work with people that were experiencing digestive issues, because that's a, a big area where I think conventional medicine has a lot of limitations. And to be very clear, I'm a huge fan of conventional medicine. I mean, it's really critical. In fact, I'm I'm a volunteer for my local fire department. And just before this call, I responded to a a stroke patient. And, you know, so conventional care, emergency care, very, very critical. And, And being able to work together is really critical. But there's a huge demographic of the population that falls outside of this sort of critical care, where it's it's really chronic chronic illness and metabolic syndromes and chronic digestive disorders. And so I decided to focus there and work with that population because I just felt like a lot of them felt like I felt hopeless. You know, they've been through the whole system, may have been labeled with a diagnosis or two, but try, you know, it's a laxative. And none of those things work. It's, well, you need an antidepressant because you're just depressed. And by treating you with antidepressants, we may improve your IBS or SIBO or IBD or whatever the situation was. 
And so that's an area that I, I began to focus in, treated a lot of, of those four set conditions, IBS, SIBO, IBD, and, and was seeing a lot of great success with that. And until one day I had someone who reached out and was inquiring, and this was in 2017, was inquiring about becoming a patient of mine. And so I had a sort of pre-call with her just to you know make sure that I understood what she was going through and she understood what I could offer and, and seeing if, if I really felt like there was an option for me to take her on as a new patient. In the course of the discussion, she described, you know, her long medical history, a lot of antibiotic use, which is very, very common. And ultimately, to make a longer story short, I told her, I said, I really don't feel like the solutions or the tools that I have would provide you anything to help take you further along this journey. And the reason for that is because she had literally done and tried pretty much everything. Went through the whole conventional system, Mayo Clinic, all of those big name brand clinics. Her and her husband sold everything they owned, bought an organic plot of land, built a totally environmentally you know, clean home, grew all of their own food, ate wow. only their own food. I mean, they literally did everything. And I said to her, look, I don't feel like I could help you. That part was really important to me, just really being transparent about what I can and can't do because people that come to that road in their life and that sort of that, those two paths, they really need to be told clearly, you know, is there some hope or is there no hope? Yeah. And I, I really feel it's important to be transparent in that respect. So I told her, I said, look, I don't think there's anything that I could do to help you, but I think you should explore the idea of doing fecal microbiota transplants. And at the time, she said, oh, my God, Dr. Klopp, you know, I'd love to do that. I know all about them, but there's no way that I can go and travel overseas to access this treatment. Because at that time, there was really no, you know, obvious solutions based in North America. And her health had declined so much that traveling overseas was totally out of the picture. And so that was late 2017. And so in 2018, I combined forces with another physician and we began offering FMT treatments at a clinic or hospital in Mexico, mm -hmm. just across the border in Rosarito, so Baja, California, about an hour from San Diego. And so that's kind of how it started. And, you know, everyone asked me the story and I, I wish I could end this story with this patient in a positive note. But when I reached out to her a few mere months later, she never responded. I tried calling, I tried emailing. So I, I don't really know what happened, but I'm going to assume that there was not a positive ending because her life was really on a fast decline. But at any rate, that's what kind of began my journey into this. It was never, I wanted to do this because there was money in it or because there was notoriety or any of these things. It was always just being led by patients. They're interest in alternative therapies and, you know, doing things that just aren't accessible otherwise. And so it really began with this mission to make FMT more accessible. And I continued my practice at that point, still seeing patients with a lot of chronic digestive issues. And then occasionally a few times a year, I'd go down to Mexico with a group of people and they would do FMT. So for about a year and a half, I had just been treating, you know, a whole variety of things. And, and to be clear, we had a medical team there. There were licensed medical doctors, nurses administering the care. I was really just there to help facilitate. And that's kind of how it all began. And for a year and a half, nobody cared about me. I was completely left alone. Nobody had any interest in what I was doing. But then in 2019... I stop you really fast. What were the results that you were getting within that year and a half? Like yeah, they were amazing. I mean, we were treating a lot of digestive issues like chronic IBS, some mm -hmm. IBD like Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, some neurological conditions, and they were just they were really exciting. And at that point, we were just using enemas. Like there was mm -hmm. really no 
advancement, so to speak, as far as you know, FMT preparations and how to administer them. And, and we were seeing some really great stuff. In fact, you know, I could tell you a few cases, but one that really stands out is, is a patient who keeps, she still emails me about once or twice a year, sends me a few pictures, uh, but she was in her 70s and she in her 60s, early 60s, she survived ovarian cancer. And, you know, she had the typical chemo, radiation, surgery, that sort of a thing, which again, life-saving, she survived. But 16 years later, she was in a horrible condition. She couldn't literally have any fiber. She had any Mm -hmm. fiber, she'd get obstructive bowel, need to go to the hospital and get it taken care of. At some point, she needed to get it surgically taken care of. So just really invasive, extremely fatigued, no quality of life. She even said to me, you know, I survived cancer, but my quality of life is so bad, like, I might have been better off having not survived it, which is a reality that a lot of people face. And again, when you're doing these types of therapies, especially over the ovaries, radiation, I mean, it just, it literally is like a microwave of your microbiome. It just Mm -hmm. kills everything, not only the cancer cell, but everything around it. And so she survived, but her microbiome was basically dead. And so with the help of the medical team there, we treated this patient and she improved significantly, even while she was there. Her energy was up, her outlook was improved. She was ordering backsplash for her kitchen and, you know, mm-hmm. outdoor stuff and what have you. So it was like, wow, this is quite something. And a few months later, her husband messages me and he says, man, I can tell she's improved because she's on my case all the time now. <laughs> errors and all the other stuff, you know. And so it was really an exciting thing to see. And, and what's really cool about it is that I still get to get the odd email from her. She knew I had a family. So she checks in on the kids and, you know, oh she's God. got animals and a pond and all these things. And so it's really rewarding from my perspective to get that type of feedback. But there were cases as well where, where patients didn't see that transformative response. That can be the challenge with a lot of therapies is we just don't know, right? Like how much of their presentation of symptoms is a result of damage to their gut microbiome or other factors that could be at play. So now, you know, with a lot more research, we're getting a better idea of which conditions respond well. But yeah, so that's a little bit of sort of what we had been seeing through that year and a half. And then in 2019, there was a two-year follow-up study that came out about the utilization of fecal microbiota transplants, FMT, for the treatment of autism. And they did an initial study in 2017, and they followed up again in 2019. And just quickly to summarize the results, it was a small group of patients. There were 18 patients. It was not a double-blind, placebo-controlled, any of those things. But in this group, they treated them for a period of eight weeks using FMT, And they then followed up with them at 18 weeks and then again two years later. And at the 18-week follow-up point, they had seen a 25% improvement in their autism-related symptoms and behaviors. That might have been speech, hyperactivity, anxiety, self-harm, those types of things. And there was an 80% improvement in their digestive symptoms. 80, like eight zero? 80, yes. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And this is what people really forget is that a lot of children, and this is a spectrum, right? There's some that are very high functioning. You might see them in, in you know pop culture and Elon Musk, those types of references. But there's the extreme where children are nonverbal, they're harming themselves, they're harming others, mm-hmm. and they're really in a lot, a lot of pain. That's really sad to see. And unfortunately, there's no approved treatments or medications to directly treat patients dealing with the symptoms of of autism. Mm -hmm. And so it's really quite a a sad thing. And so at the two-year mark, you know, they followed up that 18-month mark and they saw a further 25% increase in improvement in their autism-related symptoms and behaviors. And 80% 50% overall at the two-year mark. Yes. 
So it's like exponentially getting better and better and better. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it just transformed, right? Well, that makes sense because you fix the gut and that heals the neuroplasticity and the brain function. And it makes so much sense. Like, keep going, keep going. So, yeah. And, and, you know, like, this is the thing that people sometimes forget, you know, modern science and medical reporting and all that really makes a big deal about the gut brain connection. And that's absolutely there. It's huge. Mm -hmm. But the gut is connected to everything. Every major organ system is impacted by the gut. And the more that we study the microbiome, the more we understand that all chronic disease essentially originates in the gut. I think it was Hippocrates, right? Said all disease starts in the gut. He couldn't have been more right. And so that's really a big, big factor. And just as a bit of a backup to this, having spoken with hundreds, thousands of people over the, the course of years of working with this, not treating all of them, of course, having a discussion with them, I can name to you in the autism community on one hand, how many of them did not have early use of antibiotic treatment. Right. And so that's just interventions where where maybe it was at delivery for GBS, group beta strep, or right after delivery because the child, you know, was a little bit pale or, you know, they're just being proactive and trying to be careful. But a lot of times it was, you know, ear infections, sinus infections, those Mm -hmm. types of things, which in many respects are preventable. If Mm -hmm. you understand, you know, see the early signs and deal with them, a lot of this can be preventable. But, you know, the challenge in a bigger picture, and we don't need to tackle this, is just our medical model, our insurance model is just really flawed. You know, we're, doctors are afraid to take any kind of a risk. And, you know, I guess I was not one of those people. And here I am without an active medical license. By my choice, I decided to give it up. But yeah, so anyways, at that point, this was in uh, early 2019, these mothers started reaching out to me because they found out, you know, Googling and so on, they found out that I had been taking some patients down to Mexico to assist with FMT treatment. Mm -hmm. And so they started reaching out to me and they said, could you create a protocol that was somewhat similar to this and start the treatment? And so that's basically what I did. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, you know, do one cohort and we'll see how it goes. And and then we'll, you know, take it from there. I had no idea that this would really balloon into what it did. It just kind of surprised me. And so that was July, 2019 was when I, I went down with a group of patients. I think we took 10 or 12 and kind of maxed it out. But before I'd even gone down with one group, there's already another whole group signed up and and eager to start. And it just kind of took over. I had no intention. I ended up living in Mexico for a year and a half because it's just bananas. And, you know, so it was really driven by, again, you can sort of see the the narrative here. It was driven by a patient request, a demand, a, you know, there were no solutions. There were people really desperate to get help that had tried all kinds of things, spent in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars traveling around the world, you know, building in their homes, rooms that, you know, were sensory, good from from a sensory perspective. I mean, going to the ends of the earth and, and really just inspired me. Really, it did. It made me feel in many respects like a, man, I'm like a second class dad compared to the dedication that these parents have to their children. It was really, really inspiring. And so that's kind of what started. But from a timeline perspective, late July uh, was the first group of parents that I, I worked with. August 1st was when the investigations of that, that same year, the investigation started for me. So that was August, 2019. And they've been going on, you know, here we are four plus years later. So what and was so, investigating? What did you do wrong? In yeah, I mean, I'd have to look. I mean, there's, this has been such a saga, but, you know, I think at that point it was, you know, treating patients for an unapproved condition. For you know, what so, condition? 
you know, treating patients for a condition that was not approved by the FDA. Oh, unapproved. So Even though you FDA, were doing it in Mexico, they were just like, yeah. nope, we don't like you. Yeah. And that, for, to be clear, that was my college, uh, which is interesting because I checked in with them before even starting a year and a half prior to that and saying, hey, like, what's the deal here? And they said, well, we don't regulate FMT, but basically fall under the jurisdiction of Health Canada, which we weren't treating anybody in Canada. And right. so it had nothing to do with Health Canada. But what ultimately happened and what sort of sparked this is that there's a, a, a group within the community of patients dealing with autism that are very, you know, strong advocates for the community, which, you know, there's benefit to that, of course, but they were really opposed to the idea that children with autism should get medical intervention or treatment. And, and they, something that I've learned new, I learned this from you, that it's actually extremely controversial to want to help autistic like correct. patients and children like relieve symptoms. To me, that blows my mind because that's kind of like finding a diabetic and being like, no, you were born at like type one diabetes or right? like right. you were born with diabetic. Just embrace it. Right. No, there is a medication that can help your body so that you don't die, so that you don't decline. You know what I mean? And so to me, this doesn't make sense. But I have since you've put this on my radar. For instance, here's a great example. I posted some studies around hyperbaric oxygen therapy and autism, and I had an autistic person message me and be like, this is so harmful to the autistic community because you're seeing that there's something wrong with us. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking the fact that you can type in a computer and say this to me is really phenomenal that you are, you're not super high on the spectrum. But like you said, people that are so high on the spectrum, they're in physical pain and agony and sensory agony. And it's so hard for them to be in their bodies. Why wouldn't we want to relieve that? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm with you. And I empathize with some of those in the community. I mean, there needs to be more acceptance and things of, of that nature to people dealing with these types of neurological health challenges. So I totally get that. And we should accept people for how they are, if they're unique or different or, or whatever. I'm all on board for that. I mean, I'm kind of different 100%. myself. I'd like to be accepted too. We all want to be accepted. That's just like a primal need. And so I understand the motivation, but where the disconnect is, is that our goal was never to like cure autism or try to make people less unique. It was to make them more of who they are in the absence of their pain and struggle and medical challenges. Like a lot of them are dealing with real diagnosed medical challenges, whether it be severe gut dysbiosis or imbalance, you know, pandas, which is an autoimmune type mm -hmm. condition. I mean, a lot of them are dealing with these really obvious things and just to see the pain that they're in and the way that they can't verbalize it, they express it physically, right? They'll pinch, they'll bite, they'll hit, and some of them will self-harm. Like We had one child who literally had a huge bump on his forehead. It was a callus because he would just bang his head and if he, you know, he wasn't doing that, he literally bang his head physically. And that significantly improved after retreat. He's still autistic. He's still, you know, dealing with, he's nonverbal. He's never going to live a sort of quote unquote normal life, but at least he's not in agonizing pain. And that's really the way that I came at it with. I'm like, I'm not trying to change an individual as far as their you know, individual personality or any of those things. Like, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, I had a dad yesterday message me. He did early treatment. You know, his son was still fairly young, four or five at the time that he did treatment. And he had GI issues. He had problems. And he just got accepted into a gifted program because this kid is a genius. He is a genius. And it, it was such a privilege to work with this child, to work with his father. And over the years, you know, we've maintained contact. It's such a beautiful thing. But the child is out of this world intelligent. 
Mm -hmm. So, so smart. And it's really cool to see. And, you know, he really puts a lot of credit as far as FMT goes, not for him being gifted, but for allowing those gifts to shine by removing some of the medical challenges that were in his way and that were causing him to not be able to really excel, not be able to really focus in the way that he can now. And so that's really the the key distinction. And, And so people started coming after me. I had no clue. You know, I didn't get into this understanding the sort of politics and the polarization. It was, you know, these were parents reaching out, looking for an option to, to follow a similar study that was, you know, seeing really great results and, you know, being someone motivated to help people that I felt like at one point, you know, and being a parent at that time myself, it was like a, a no brainer, you know, it's like, well, there's not other solutions. I'll work with you to create one. There was no manipulation. There were no like bait and switch. We're just right. transparent. Selling snake oil and be like, right. you know, yeah, I get that all the time. You know, you're a snake oil you're a salesman. You're you're taking advantage of people who are desperate and so on and so forth. Like, who are the people that are seeing these things? I don't honestly pay a lot of attention. It just you know, after years of dealing with that kind of abuse and death threats and all kinds of bizarre I'm stuff, and block, you know, whatever. Wow. Um, but yeah, and. You're helping people and you're getting death threats. You're helping people improve their lives. And again, like you said, not all treatment works for everyone. Not all peptide therapies work for everyone. Not all antibiotics work for everyone. Not all Ritalins work for everyone, right? And so the fact that people are in choice, they've done their research, they come to you and they're like, please help us. And you're providing them such a great therapy that works, I would say, maybe for the majority of people, correct? Yeah. And that was the thing that really really, you know, it was important to me. And I, I tried to communicate this to people all the time was it had to be both safe and effective. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't one of those two things, I just couldn't Enjoy. do it. I, I couldn't in good conscience offer a therapy that was maybe safe, but not really effective mm-hmm. or very, very effective, but had a high risk. That That's a big thing. And I think, you know, what really, you know, a lot of people are turned off by this idea that it's poop. Ooh, it's, that's a horrible thing. Like, we've just been brainwashed to think that, whatever we're excreting from our body is totally unsafe and deadly and harmful. And, and, you know, done poorly, it could be. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality. But that's true of anything, right? If you're giving someone insulin in injection, but you didn't clean the injection site or the needle was dirty, like you could cause them a serious infection that could kill them. And so, you know, this has to be done appropriately. And so that's why as much as regulation is challenging to comply with, it's really important that I'm a huge fan of regulating as long as it's done appropriately and by the right bodies. And so, yeah, really, I think a lot of the negative pushback came from within that same community that I thought I was just creating a solution. So, you know, they go to the media, the college hates having a member that stands out, right? They knew that I was doing this before any media releases. But as soon as the media kind of makes a a stink about it, I got to jump in and you're like, oh, here I am saving the day. We never had a patient complaint to my college or any others that I'm aware of. If it happened, I'd be aware of it because they'd come after me for it. Never in the five plus years that I'd been doing this, had a patient complain about the FMT treatment to my college. And so it was never motivated by harm that we were causing to anybody that we worked with. And over the years, multiple clinics around the world as we expanded, you know, hundreds of patients, never one complaint. And that's usually how investigations start is a patient complains to the college about, you know, something that went wrong or was unethical or, you know, what have. And so that's kind of telling in a way, right? Like none of this was ever motivated by a goal to, you know, that's the mandate of a college, right? Is to protect the public. 
Yeah. But if the public's not really in risk because nobody's being harmed, then mm-hmm. you know, what are you really protecting? And this was not being done in Canada. This was not being done in the U.S. This was outside of Canada. It was not under my medical license. It was with, but I was just the ambassador. I was the one creating awareness and creating an opportunity where people could access care. And so, you know, and on top of that, some people really, you know, oh, the study was small and so on. Well, there's since been other studies, they're bigger studies. They've been double blinded and placebo control and so on. And the results are still phenomenal. Can you share some of the, like the results? Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah we numbers? can share with you the studies and things like that. And Shana, you know, who was on your, your podcast previously, you know, she's really mm-hmm. the science nerd. And we literally have countless studies on not just FMT for autism, but for all other kinds of indications showing the safety. I mean, it's been used for many, many years. Thousands and thousands of patients have been treated and the safety profile is just so high compared to other approved conditions. So it's really kind of, you know, a bit baffling in that front. But but yeah, so that's kind of, that was 2019 and we just kept going despite all of this. We eventually stopped accepting patients that were from Canada because Health Canada said, well, not approved in Canada, so you can't treat Canadians, which a lot of people were, of course, oh. very upset. And we were very strict about that. We didn't want to. They couldn't fly to Mexico. Like a Canadian couldn't take their body and their money and fly to Mexico and say, I want to put this in my body and use my money. That's insane to me. That's insane. That's not body autonomy. That is, oh my gosh. Okay, keep going. So, but other people could, other countries could, right? The US. Yeah, yeah. You know, people from the U.S. or really any other country, they could. But it was yeah. primarily because I was a Canadian. I was a physician in Canada. And so they had some control over me, right? And I mean, we work with Health Canada. But my, my problem is not with Health Canada. They've been great. They are the ones who can regulate me, who should regulate me, because our lab and where we do manufacturing is in Canada. Yeah. And so I, I get that. But my college was attempting to regulate drug manufacturing, which they know nothing about. I was going to say, and- that's not their job. No, no not not, why were they doing this? Just because of pressure from some like Karens in the in the, the community that were just well, like, the, and the press, wrong? right? The press had written about me, oh. so it, it puts them in the crosshair, right? This is one of your members, so you know, get them in line. They don't want to stand out. It's like it makes sense that this is something that an acupathic, you know, college should be interested in in overseeing and supporting, but it was too controversial, and so they just said, wow. you know, we're not having you. We don't want to deal with this. So they're trying to interfere with the manufacturing process, which their college, they're not a regulatory agency. Right. Oh my gosh. So yeah, how they made, you know, they made claims against my manufacturing, but never once actually came and seen our facility. Right? Like, how are you conducting an investigation? You're saying that it's unsanitary and all these other things. Wow. But you've never come to actually see if that's the case. I welcome them. You want to come see it? Great. Come. That was never of interest no knowledge on drug manufacturing. I mean, that's kind of a very particular skill. And we had people with all the expertise there to help establish and and do everything that we did. So yeah, so we work with Health Canada. They're the ones who can regulate drug manufacturing and they do regulate drug manufacturing. And we're actively working with them to obtain what's called a drug establishment license, which would certify our manufacturing facilities as being good manufacturing practice or GMP certified, which is basically like the gold standard. And so we expect, you know, it's kind of a slow process as are most things with regulatory bodies, but we expect to get that certification in the first quarter of next year, which we're really excited about. 
Now, there's been a lot of changes in the last year that you guys went from your clinics to now manufacturing. And now you've closed down most of your clinics because you're now just providing to other clinics. Is that correct? I remember talking with you and Shana, you have a very, very high standard of manufacturing your FMTs. And and it should be noted, like they're clean, right? This isn't dirty poop. Like you guys sanitize it. You just keep the bacterial strain and none of the bad stuff, right? And so there's a very, very scientific way and a very structured way in which you guys run and and find your donors and right. manufacture all your FMTs because it's a drug. It's right. literally a drug. It's not just like dried up poop put in a capsule. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, it looks like a probiotic when it's in a pill, like it literally is indistinguishable. And so, mm-hmm. but that, you know, again, that's, and I understand it, right? Like I understand that people don't understand the value of a human microbiome and how, you know, if they're just passing it every day. Day. They don't recognize what it is other than a waste product that you shouldn't touch, that you shouldn't gross and, and all these other things. Like I do understand that, but it's a medical intervention. It's proven itself mm-hmm. through countless clinical trials. It's life-saving for patients with C. diff. And so, yeah, I mean, we started out by wanting to expand access and that was really our focus. And so we treated patients, you know, again, as a team collaboratively with medical providers in each of these jurisdictions. And that was our big goal was to expand access to safe and effective FMT treatments. And we we did that for over five years, nearly six. But then when we, it was a requirement that we go to apply for this drug establishment license, which prior to that it wasn't. So it was never illegal to manufacture FMT in Canada. In fact, it was legal. You could legally manufacture or export only. That's and that's great. what we were doing. So we were never breaking any law or regulation. We were following all the regulations. But when the regulations changed, which they did, eventually they changed to require us to get what's called a drug establishment license. We, you know, we went through the necessary process of applying and, and going through all that. So we were not like illegally doing what we were doing. We were right. totally above board following all regulations. Health Canada was made aware of us even doing what we were doing. And at the time that all this stuff came out in the media, came to our facility, did their own investigation, if you will. And we continued manufacturing after that because yeah. you know there was no obvious reason for them to shut us down. And by God, could they have? They can shutter mm-hmm. someone up faster than you could blink an eye. That's the power that they have. And that's understandable, right? You're dealing with people's health. Things should be done appropriately. But that was always our goal. We were never trying to, you know, go the easy way. You know, people have said to me all the time, oh, you could have just, you know, provided it on the black market. And there's just so many loopholes of things that you could have done. And sure, I, I could have. And there are facilities out there that do that. But that was never our goal. Our goal was to always be above board, do things you know, the way that they should be done so that it was, you know, safe and transparent and effective at the end of the day. So, yeah. And then on top of all of that, I mean, we were conducting our own study in a sense, like we were collecting data. We had a clinical psychologist that was doing uh, called CARS-2 assessments on patients looking at all the autism symptoms. We were doing assessments on their digestive health and well-being. So we've collected and amassed a lot of data, uh, which we at some point will probably try to publish. We're not really like a publishing group. And we've just been focused on all of the other projects that we have. But that's another thing. We were collecting data. And we were sharing data uh, with patients so, so that we knew like this was actually working. We're following them up over, over a long period of time. And so, you know, some people just think, oh, well, you're charging a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, we were charging money, but the costs are so high to actually manufacture and to establish a lab and to do donor screening appropriately. And all of these factors that come into play to hire the staff, it's really, really costly. I don't think people understand how expensive it is to run health 
worlds. And I'll give a great example, like with my clinic, bringing on doctors, we have to charge extra money because there's like, you're not just seeing someone for an hour. The doctors have to work on their case for two hours. And so do the MAs and they have to call a pharmacist and like running health establishments. And then there's insurances. Like my clinic has to pay 20 to $30,000 a year to cover just our clinic as far as insurances go. And so anything in a health realm and world. And I mean, and then like, there's just all of these expenses. I joke often when people are like, I want to learn how to open up a clinic. Can you tell me how? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like, do you want to trigger my PTSD? Because it is hard, right? Like it's so hard getting in this realm and seeing all the red tape and it's expensive red tape. And then there's more red tape after that red tape. You know what I mean? And so I want to tell people like, just go sell t-shirts on Etsy. Something that has nothing to do with the human body, because as soon as health and the human body are involved, like it's a fight. It's a like it feels like a fight over people's wellness, right? And it should be that complex. But then I do and that we're protecting people as well. Oh, it's so messy. It's so expensive. It can be so messy. And so I just want like listeners to know, like, we wish we could make these things more affordable. And we do, right? And Jason, I barely know you, but I get that sense from you. Like you just want to do everything like right and you want to help people. And so do I. But unfortunately, we have to slap on these price tags so that we don't go under, so that we don't go bankrupt, so that we, you know, like we're not buying private jets. <laughs> like, yeah. Although wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that you know, be nice? That's the thing, right? Like we reinvested so much of what we made back into research and development. Mm-hmm. We actually created an oral powder because, you know, one of the things we found was these kids with autism couldn't swallow pills. Mm-hmm. And what we learned very early is that the younger that you treat, the better, right? Which mm-hmm. is true of most things, right? Like the sooner you can have an intervention. And this has been studied ad nauseum. This is not me saying this. This is tons of research showing that early intervention when it comes to speech therapy and occupational therapy and all these therapies right. improve you know, they're the likelihood of having more quality of life, more speech, more physical range coordination, those types of things. So all of that's very clear. And so we realized really early on, like, wow, that's kind of critical. And so we poured a lot of energy and effort into development of an oral powder, uh, which is actually right now patent pending because it, it's, it, cool. I think, it's a really important thing. And that allowed us to work with kids who were younger and treat them before they were old enough to swallow a pill because mm-hmm. I think oral treatment is really important. So when I talked about when we just started, we were doing only enemas. At that time, sort of mainstream was using colonoscopies, which are pretty invasive and you can't do multiple colonoscopies after each other. So we were utilizing enemas for treatment. And then it expanded to the oral treatments, which just are really, really effective, easy to administer, you know, really no risks. People are concerned about SIBO. We've never seen that. In fact, I think FMT can resolve SIBO, especially chronic SIBO for people. So yeah, that's kind of the long and short story. But after all of that ongoing, there'd be something new and there'd be something new at legal fees. Oh my God, lawyers. Oh my God. Love them, but gee, that that gets costly. Legal fees. Let me like, man, I can't even with legal fees right now. I think I told you last year when we were talking, we had hyperbaric chambers and the government tried to shut us down and we probably spent close to $30,000 in legal fees, like going back and forth and back and forth with Doppel creating like a stipulation on like, okay, what would you be happy with? They literally just made up their own rules. They just made them up. Right. And like two years later, $30,000 of legal fees were finally able to open up our chambers again. But man, like those hit you hard. That was one invoice. And they're coming all the time. Unfortunately, we couldn't have spent that money on other things that would have furthered the advancements of the research and the development that we were doing. 
But, you know, it's unfortunately necessary when you're running a company. And, you know, my insurance, of course, wouldn't cover it. They found every way to get out of, of being involved with covering, even though I had coverage that should have covered me for it. They just found a way to get out of it. And they stonewall you for so long that if you just waited for them, you would have been in even more trouble. So anyways, that's another you know industry. I think it's probably the biggest fraud that exists is insurance, legal fraud. But in any respect, yeah, that was kind of the journey. And, and we just seen so many wonderful and beautiful transformations along the way. I gained some lifelong friends of parents, had a lot of challenges, but really respected the people within the community who were wanting access to this type of care, despite the pushback, despite the all of the challenges. Like there's no way that I would have carried on without the support of people that believed in what we were doing and and that supported that mission and really stood up, kind of encouraged, not encouraged me on, but really just like keep doing this. You know, and that was the fear of a lot of these parents was was if you stop, then what are the other children going to, like, how are they going to be able to access this treatment? And then that was a big concern for them, right? Like once you've found something that works for you, you want to make it accessible to other people. And and that was really a big motivation for these people. And this, just to give people listening who don't really understand this, like there are parents that have to use fake names on Facebook and all these other things, because if they talk about what they're doing, they'll get trashed. That's People so will call CPS, funny. Child Protective Services on them if they're doing, you know, just mundane treatment. What? Like it's really so polarizing. That's crazy to me. It's really sad that this is the world and like this is the culture of illness, right? There's just so much vitriol and anger and control, right? And people are just wanting to help their own children, help themselves. It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be complex. Why do you think it is like that? Why do you think there is this culture? Would you say it's just the autism realm that is this polarizing? And why do you think that is? Uh, not really. I mean, you take COVID as a perfect example. Right? <laughs> or vaccines. Sort of, I don't know. I don't really know for sure. I had no interest in ever getting involved in that. I mean, if you've taken anything out of this story that I've just shared with you, it's that I was only purely motivated to help people. Like, that's why I got into medicine. That's why mm-hmm. I you know, helped, you know, get started with FMT. That's why I helped parents who reached out to me. It was just, it was purely because I was motivated to help people. Yeah, it was kind of shocking to me. And I never would have imagined that purely by creating an opportunity for people who were seeking it, who were, I mean, in many cases, much more educated than I was. Mm-hmm. Definitely when it came to autism. I mean, like this one mother, she said to me, she said, you've never really been around children with autism, have you? And I'm like, no, I, I had no experience, you know, and, and you know, kids would touch me sometimes inappropriately, you know, hit me, smell me, you know, I had never been around that. Like it was never something that I was familiar with, but I, you know, learned to get used to it. And then I was very accepting. I was never like, oh, gross or, you know, whatever, like it just was what it was. But these parents, they warned me of this at the beginning. But I, I just, you know, like no most guys, you know, if someone tells you something like you just kind of like, okay, they said, you know, you just wait, this is going to get hard for you. Oh, and so when I started, knew. that's what- they knew and they warned yeah, they you. Knew. That's crazy yeah. to me that this is so polarizing. It makes me very sad. And, and a lot of doctors would have just stopped at the first and understandably yeah. uh, would have stopped at the first sign of pushback because they would, they know, right? They know mm-hmm. that there's a risk of them losing their medical license and their ability to make an yes. income, to make a living. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was very true for me as well, right? Like that was a, a risk, but it was a risk that I was willing to take up. 
understanding that that I I felt personally that I was doing the right thing mm-hmm. and I didn't want to compromise on having a degree or being called a doctor or whatever it really never I don't really care you know right. my ego in this was I didn't who cares you know like it's just about helping someone that's right. what to me really motivated me was was just helping people and of course it was exciting to be on the cutting edge of a novel therapy like but by no means was this boring or not interesting like it was very interesting in fact that's you know, it's hard for me, especially being entrepreneurially minded. Like I don't like doing things that are blase. Everybody else is doing like, that's just not interesting to me. Right. And, and so, yeah. And just being willing to take, you know, I'm one of six in the middle child. So, you know, kind of used to, you know, getting beat up and uh, <laughs> that, that it's never really that I didn't shy away from those attacks. Of course, in the beginning, it was harder to yeah. get that negative kind of feedback from some people, even though you'd have 10 people say that, you know, what you're doing is great, keep going. It'd always be one. And, you know, you focus on what the one person is saying if you're not really good at blocking it out. But truthfully, you know, I think the best ideas that have survived to date have come from people who are not afraid to stand against the sort of modern day, right? You go back as far as like even the idea of the onset of antibiotics or the idea that you shouldn't go from doing dissections on cadavers straight to the delivery room because mothers and infants were dying when you went in and you had dirty hands from someone who had literally just died and you took those same dirty hands and went and delivered a baby and then the mother died and you're like, wait a minute, why did that happen? Well, the physician that came up with the idea that in essence, germ theory, that you should wash your hands when you go from cadaver dissection to delivering a baby was basically called the heretic and, you know, right. Booted out. Mm-hmm. And then that, this sort of trend goes way back in time. And I'm not the first one with FMT. I didn't come up with this idea. I mean, it's been going on since 400 BC in, in early China. They were utilizing it for, you know, basically they called it was modern day, what C. diff is known as today. You know, they yellow stools and they were using FMT way back then. And it was used in the wars. And, and, you know, they've been using this for a long, long time. There are other pioneers that have led way before me that have also equally faced a lot of pushback and have continued to push through. So I'm, I'm not trying to put myself out there as a leader, but in some respects in this way, you know, I was too close to the front of the arrow. And when you're too close, you deal with all of the brunt, all of the wind, all of the impact. And and, that's why we have the modern conveniences that we have because people, healthcare providers, whether it be the onset of electricity or the start of cars, whatever, you know, just think about it. When you only had horses on the streets, the idea of a car, nobody wanted that. No, Nobody wanted that, but someone believed in it being a better mode of transportation and pushed through against all of the pushback that would have come from At that time, you know, the people that were breeding and selling and, you know, all these are like, there's always been a motive to keep what is standard, standard. Standard. So, you know, but, but I really struggle with this idea of just staying stuck because we don't advance medicine without clinical care. Like interventions are come through clinical observations. Mm-hmm. A doctor somewhere noticed something, took yes. it to a researcher who began researching it, and then it developed into something. But mm-hmm. it usually starts in clinical practice. Yes. We don't just like come up with ideas randomly. We right. come up with because of clinical experience and seeing patterns and then taking those patterns and testing them in a scientific method, which is, you know, modern day research. And so mm-hmm. that's really, you know, how every good idea starts 
And, you know, a lot of good ideas are that may have perceived as a good idea didn't turn out to be a good idea. You know, know, doing a lobotomy if someone was crazy, like that clearly was a bad idea, Uh, but got thrown out. But FMT and manipulation of the gut microbiome has been tested and tested and tested. And And it keeps getting better. Mm -hmm. It keeps getting better and better. Like the science is speaking for itself. And so it will never get thrown out. It will just keep expanding. But as you're saying, like it takes some pioneers to take some heat in the beginning. And you just happen to be one of those pioneers years, right? Because that's just, sadly, it's the way of the world, right? And my guess is in the next 50 years, FMTs are going to be like probiotics that you buy on a shelf. You know what I mean? It won't be, I don't know, maybe it will can still be a drug that has to be prescribed by a doctor because because of the powers that be, right? right. But my guess is that it's going to be way more mainstream and it's not going to be the last line of defense. It'll be one of the first, right? Because for instance, here in the United States, you can only get it when you have C. diff and C. diff is bacterial infection from taking copious amounts of antibiotics in a hospital, right? So they're like, oh, we can't do antibiotics anymore because that's how we got here. So now they do the FMT. But what if they did the FMT in the beginning? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they prevent it because this is the thing, right? If you survive three rounds of really hardcore antibiotics, your guts after that are just destroyed. There's people that survive it, but then they're still dealing with all of the fallout, fatigue or food allergies or, you know, what have you as a result of poor microbiome health, not to mention your increased risk of developing other chronic diseases, neurological conditions, and so on. It's no longer just an idea. Like this is true science and the Mm -hmm. uptick of research. Like if anybody, you know, is being critical of our discussion, just go to clinicaltrials.gov and look at the amount of research that's happening around the gut, the microbiome, FMT, Mm -hmm. look at FMT and PubMed. There's just countless, countless studies that are being done. And the conclusion that you'll see at the bottom of every one of them is, you know, safe, generally effective, requires more research, which is just Mm -hmm. standard, you know, language to be included (laughs) in every single conclusion of every single PubMed paper that you'll ever read in almost any journal. There's, you know, science never stops. And that's a good thing. That's uh, really a positive thing. So talk to me about the evolution. I know we're running out of time, but the evolution of your company and your mission, you were doing clinics, you had six clinics, you're now down to one or two. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, we refer out to other clinics and hospitals, but ultimately we just decided, you know, our main mission to start was creating access, right? That was the very early start of, you know, the first group that we've seen in early 2018 was like to create access here in North America. So Mm -hmm. that's how it started. And then, you know, we started having patients flying to Mexico from Dubai, from the UK, from, you know, Ireland, whatever. And it was like, well, that's really challenging. I mean, try traveling with kids. That's tough. Mm -hmm. Then try traveling with a child who really struggles in a confined space or whatever the thing might be with sensory issues to sound or light or whatever. I mean, traveling is really hard. And so then we creating more sort of offshoots at the clinic to make it more accessible to people to easily reach. Uh, And we did that for a few years. And now we're at a stage where we've gained so much clinical experience. We've understand what protocols work and we pile a lot of the research that exists around the protocols that are established in these clinical studies. And so at this point, our, our main goal is just to allow other physicians, clinics, clinical trial groups, to utilize the product that we've perfected over these years of, of use and development within our lab. And so, you know, now we're making the products available to clinics, 
hospitals, awesome. physicians, clinical trial groups, et cetera, so that they can use it and they can build off of the work and the protocols that we've developed, which we happily share. We educate people on who are in that space. So yeah, at this point, it's not a person just can't go online and order FMT as you could say with a probiotic. And you're right. It probably never will go there and maybe should. I mean, I think there's some good reason to regulate it so that it is safe and that it is being done appropriately. But yeah, microbiome manipulation is you know, the future of healthcare. Yes. I mean, C. diff, as an example, is basically antibiotic resistant. And, you know, no one's really talking, there's some people talking about this, but nobody really appreciates that the rise of antibiotic resistance is going to be the mm. biggest problem if we don't solve it for all of humankind. It, no, I... it could wipe people out like nothing other. And the rates of increase that we're seeing in antibiotic resistance is increasing at a staggering rate. And at some point, we're just not going to be able to outsmart these superbugs, no. and they will cause havoc. And I think FMT and, and precision manipulation of the gut will play a significant role in solving these antibiotic-resistant problems. Wouldn't it be cool if we lived in a world where they prescribe you an antibiotic and an FMT right after? They're like, you actually have to take this because you have an infection, but here's your antibiotic and here's your FMT. So as soon as you're done, your one to two week course of antibiotics, take this immediately. Like, wouldn't that be so amazing? So it's like, we've wiped out a little bit because of an acute infection that was fairly harmful to you because we know better now we're doctors that have been educated. Like that would be so cool if that was mainstream. And I think we will get there someday, right? Where our doctors are now being educated about the dangers of overprescribing antibiotics, but it takes about eight to 12 years for that to hit mainstream medical school, right? So doctors are still catching up and they will eventually get there. But for now, we got to kind of take matters into our own hands and be really proactive about our microbiome. I interviewed Kiran Krishnan, who is like one of the head researchers. And I mentioned this all the time. Um, he was one of the head researchers at Microbiome Labs. And he was saying, you know, if people were born with half an organ, like half a liver or one arm or one kidney or one eyeball or one ear, like people would be freaking out. But we have to look at the microbiome like an organ, not just multiple organisms like in our gut and say, we're birthing children with like half the microbiome that their parents had and their grandparents had, right? And that's causing immune dysfunction. That's causing huge immune and developmental issues. I mean, just some statistics, kids from the night, kids today have 30% more food allergies and sensitivities than kids from the nineties, you know? So that's increased exponentially. Like how many kids and people have food allergies and sensitivities and environmental allergies and they can't go outside or they can't be around pets or animals or anything like that. Right. And so it is, it's getting worse and worse and worse. I had one friend growing up who had weird food sensitive. I shouldn't say weird, but back then it was like, oh, that's so bizarre that right. you can't eat certain foods, right? right? I had one person in my class and now it's like half the class, right? Half the class has food sensitivities and allergies and, and that's just like common language and it's like common. They're and this is the exciting thing, like FMT is being studied in, in severe peanut anaphylaxis as an example. Mm. Right? I mean, like anaphylaxis can be life-threatening and, right. and FMTs are being utilized to look at that. You know, to your point of after antibiotics, there's a really interesting study that came out of Scandinavia, I think it was Denmark, where actually the mothers that were expecting to deliver, they did some testing on the mother to make sure that they didn't have anything, you know, infectious or pathogenic that could pass on to the newborn infant. Mm -hmm. And they were scheduled for a C. diff, or sorry, for a C-section. And so they took the mother's microbiome, gave it to the infant as with their first feeding. So the mm. first time they were fed, they followed up with them at six months later. 
And the children at six months later had a microbiome identical to a child born vaginally. Wow. And we know this. I mean, again, this is so clear in the research being born by C section. Again, I mean, it can be so life saving if done appropriately. In many cases these days, it's often not done appropriately or it's just done, you know, laissez faire. I don't want to go through the delivery and not, not of the mother. I mean, even of the medical providers, they don't want to, it's quicker to just deliver a child via C section, right? And we know that there's increased risk for the onset of, of diabetes and other metabolic diseases which comes along with the being born via C-section. It's not necessarily causative, it's, it's correlation. But when you have hundreds of thousands of these, it starts to be quite obvious. And so that was really, really cool. And that, that idea actually is what formed what we created was a personal biome bank. It's, it's basically you can store your own microbiome before you need to use it after, like so either later in life because your microbiome declines with age or if you've had some sort of procedure, whether it be antibiotics or colonoscopy or these types of things. So that's, you know, but it's a tough one to educate people around because it's easier to sell a solution than it is to do prevention. I don't know if you heard of the research that came out around, it was chemotherapy for melanoma. Did you read about it at all? Possibly, yeah, where, where they They're, utilized FMT. Yes. So they did a chemotherapy and they failed it. And then they did an FMT, did the chemo again and complete remission in like 100% of their patients. Yes. And literally just by having certain gut bacteria in the body change the way their body metabolized or utilized the chemotherapy, it's like blowing my mind. It's just blowing my mind. I think people say we know 8% of the microbiome. We know a lot right now. There's been a lot of research in the past 20, 25 right. years, but there's still so much more to learn. You know what I mean? And it's just blowing my mind. It's so exciting. And it's funny because when I got your email and you're like, hey, we're supplying clinics with FMTs now that this is what we can do. I immediately signed up Provo Health. I was like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> like we <laughs> want this. And well, so we look forward to working with you and helping your patient demographic. So that's really exciting. I'm so excited that as you're telling your story, I'm like, I'm so glad you got mono when you were a teenager because that really spearheaded this whole realm of you becoming a doctor and then wanting to help people. And then it turned into creating a company that provides safe and effective FMTs for people globally. Like what a gift it is, you know, what beauty can come from such trials that we have to experience. And so Jason, I want to say thank you for spearheading, you know, for being a thought leader in this world so that people now and in the future can benefit from all your hard work and sacrifices because the seat that you sit in, there's been a lot of sacrifice. You seem like a cool cat where you're just like, it's fine. It's like water off the deck's back. But I know it's not. I know in the moments it's been hard. And I know you've had to sacrifice a lot. And there's just been a lot of blood, sweat and tears that we don't really talk about. So I want to say thank you for taking the heat and still moving forward. Right. And knowing that there will be risks and you're still going to do it. You're still going to move forward and do it in the safest and most effective way possible while keep like keep researching and keep proving to the world that this is a really important therapy that needs to become mainstream someday. And I can't wait to see that day come by when it is mainstream. So thank you. Well, well, I appreciate it. Definitely. I I do sort of discount the trials and, and challenges that have arisen over the years, but There's a great quote, and it says, if you understand your why for being, you can endure anyhow. And that's really what allowed me to to push through and and do what I do. The reason why I'm doing this is stronger than the reasons not to do it. And one of my flaws, if you will, is I take my values really to heart, and I really try to do what I believe is right despite other people's opinion. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I teach my kids all the time is like, who cares what other people think? Like that mm-hmm. is really the best thing that you can do as long as what you're doing is right. 
and you totally. believe it's right and you know it's right because most people know right from wrong and i've been cast in a light which is he's just wrong but not really giving the benefit of the doubt or even looking at the research and, and or even talking to anybody who's been you know taken advantage and got a positive outcome so yeah i, I appreciate everything you're doing i mean if there's anything that i could leave people dealing with chronic health issues with is like there is a solution out there. The body is magical. And if you work with it appropriately and you don't take a, a path of just trying to fight and kill everything, but you work with this innate intelligence that is our human body, it can overcome so, so much. I really agree with you that to truly overcome a health condition, you need to understand how it served you to be a better person because it's showing up in a way to teach you something. And you need to understand that and utilize that in a way and sort of make what was your challenge, your message and something that and help other people. And that's what a lot of health advocates and that's how the advancements in medicine were pushed by people advocating for what they believe in. So we need more of that. And so if there's anybody here, you know, just be an advocate for what you believe in, whether it's alternative medicine or, or any branch of that, you know, stand up for it, push for it, because if we're not careful, we'll lose more and more access to it that won't harm me specifically that will just harm the people that desperately need this type of therapy 100 man that was a really great way to end this episode like keep pushing for it you guys keep okay. advocating it's important that we keep speaking our truth and fighting for the research and fighting for things that are not mainstream but that are effective right like keep talking about it keep educating yourself educate people around you and let them know that they're, you said the body is magical. So Jason, thank you so, so much. You are truly a gift to this planet. And so thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people are benefiting from your hard work. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for being here and we will catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast.